writing of the church at Corinth, says, If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient and kind. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I pray you would teach us today about your love you have shown to us. Your love is patient and it is kind. And you tell us here that we could give away everything that we have. We could give up our bodies to be burned and destroyed. And if we don't do it in love, it's as if we have done nothing at all. Nothing eternal is attached to that act if it is not done with the love of Jesus Christ. And so we pray, Lord, that today as we engage your word, that your, heart will, your, your word will strike our hearts, convict us, teach us, build us up with the love of our Savior. We trust this time into your hands, and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. A couple of weeks ago, we finished a series in the Gospel of John on the I Am statements of Jesus. And the last one that we looked at from John chapter 15 was about abiding in him. And so as we abide in Jesus, as the branches abide in the vine, we are going to bear the fruit of the vine. And the primary fruit that we will bear as we interact with our fellow residents of this planet, is love. That's the primary fruit. In fact, on the same night that Jesus told his disciples that he was the vine and he was the branches, he also told them this. John chapter 13, he says, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this love. All people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. So Jesus is saying that the distinguishing mark, as I said last week, the distinguishing mark, the indispensable characteristic of the Christian is love. It is the one thing that you cannot do without as you follow Jesus. Love is the one substance. That's the substance of who Christ is. And as we abide in the vine, love becomes the substance of who we are too. So as you progress as a Christian, it means that you will progress in love. You could also say it like this. If you have made progress as a Christian up to this point, it means that you have also progressed in love, Christ-like love. And then one more time, in a different way. You cannot make progress as a Christian without progress also in love. Those two things go hand in hand. Being a Christ follower means that you're one who loves like Christ. And so my aim as we work our way through this text is that we allow the Word of God to assess, evaluate our love. 
to put our current love in the scales and see how it is not yet the full measure of Jesus Christ. Only when we are glorified will we be perfectly like him and have his love perfectly. But we can grow to be more like him while we are here. And that means in love. So last week we did, we talked about how it's possible to serve, to use your spiritual gifts, to sacrifice, all for those seemingly good efforts that we have done to be worthless if they are not done in love. Paul says that you can do all sorts of good things, but if love is not what motivates them, they have no ultimate or lasting or eternal value in the eyes of God. The only things that will have ultimate value are those things that flow from Christ, vine to branches. And we need Jesus' love, true love, not the hollow love of the world, superficial, selfish self-centered love, all about me love and how things make me feel love. It is not that kind of love that is being described in this text. Your feelings do matter, okay? They do matter, but they must be motivated by Christ-like love, not simply out of a desire to serve ourselves. That is not what Jesus came here to do. He came here to serve you. And that's what love like his will do. And so when he went to the cross, he showed the world the character of God. He showed the world the heart of God. God delights in the good of others. And Jesus was nailed to a pole of torture for the good of sinners, sinners who deserved judgment. That's what we deserved. So God does not just love those who he thinks are lovely. That's what we do, right? We easily love those who love us back and that we think are lovely. But God sought the good of the unlovely in the most shocking kind of way, self-sacrifice. So this points us in the direction of what genuine love is. And it will become increasingly clear to us as we begin talking through the qualities of this God-given love. And that's where we will be starting today. But all this kind of love, it actually does begin with who God is. He is this quality of love. And he puts that love on display by what he does. His actions demonstrate his heart. And as we abide in Jesus, this same thing begins to happen in us. He changes our nature. He changes who we are. And then he changes what we do because we have a nature like his. We start to do the things that Jesus does, and we love it. And it looks really weird to the world when we do, which is why Jesus says when the world sees us, they will know that we are his disciples by the way that we love one another, which means that stands in stark contrast with what the world sees. They notice something strange in the Christian, that your love is different than what they see out there in the world. They will know us by our love, and our love is like his. 
So today, the first qualities of love that Paul gives to us, love is patient and kind. Love is patient and kind. Two sides of the same coin. These qualities describe what love does in response to the hurts that other people cause. Patience is the passive response. Patience is what you choose not to do in response to those who have hurt you. Patience is what you choose not to do in response to those who have hurt you. Kindness is the active response. It's the other side of the coin. It describes the good that you choose to do in response to hurt. It's what you actually go and do. Patience is what you choose not to do, what you withhold, what you bear up under. And patience is all that we're going to deal with today. So today is just love is patient. And we often think of patience as what we have with people who just bother us. The bothers. Those people who have quirks, irritants, aggravating personality traits. Do you know any of those? Maybe somebody actually has you in mind as we say that. Because we all have them, do we not? We just think we're normal. Somebody else looks at us and they see all the challenges and interacting with us, those things that we always seem to do that bother them. And so we think that patience is the quality that just doesn't say anything in response to that. And there is some truth in that. But the main idea in this quality of patience is what those old translations call long-suffering. How many of you all have a Bible right now that that's actually what it says? Just a few of you. It's what it, long-suffering. So love is long-suffering. One person described the meaning of this word as endurance under ill treatment without anger or thought of revenge. And so this is not just the ability to overlook quirks and bothers. This describes a Christ-like strength to bear up under the attacks of other people. Strength. That's not a word that Paul mentions here in the qualities about love in 1 Corinthians 13, but it is implied throughout. Love is strong, tough. It's the kind of love that Christ is. He is strong in his love. It has muscle. It doesn't break easily under pressure. And you know what this love is not? It's not sentimental. That's not what Paul is describing here. If you look up the word sentimental and what you'll see, it revolves around feeling. Sentimentality means to be driven by feelings. So what he describes here in this chapter informs feelings. It tells feelings what they're supposed to actually feel. It bases it on truth, shapes feelings puts feeling in its proper place. God made us to have feelings and lots of them, but he did not make us to be driven by sinful feelings. 
Sentimentality is often what the world means when they use the word love. Warm feeling makes me feel good about myself. But that is not what is being described here. Long-suffering here is strong and able to overcome the initial burst of feeling that you have when someone truly sins against you. So you know what that feels like, right? Somebody comes at you, and you have this burst of ugh inside of you, and you want to respond. But patience here, long-suffering, is able to bear up underneath all of those feelings and hold them, not be held by them. Does that make sense? That's what Paul is describing here. We're not driven by offense, not quick to take offense. We have a whole culture out there right now that has been trained to take offense at everything. Call that good. In fact, it seems that those who are best at taking offense, they have a kind of power over other people in polite society. They're on the hunt constantly for those who make them feel threatened in some way, and they use their offense to gain power over their offenders or perceived offenders. It's a form of culturally acceptable retaliation or revenge that is applauded. This is the opposite of Christian love. Love does not go looking for offense, but when offense does come, and it will, will it not? We live in a world where we are going to be constantly offended if we're looking for it, because this is a fallen world, sinful world, full of self-centered people who think the world revolves around them. So we are going to be offended at times. But here, Paul is describing a love that bears up with strength, underneath the fence. It's able to bear the heavy load that is put upon it of offense and sin. All sorts of good illustrations that could be used about this kind of love. It's like a bridge that bears up underneath the weight of a train running over top of it. Floor joists that are able to hold the weight up underneath us right now. As I was thinking on this week, I was reminded, I used to have a really old house in Tennessee I don't, I don't remember when it was built. Underneath it, the floor joists were actually tree logs. And just above it, I had a waterbed. You know, y'all remember those? those? Those used to be a thing. How many of y'all had a waterbed before? <laughs> Some of you. I don't even know if they even do that anymore, you know? But I looked it up. Like, how much did that waterbed weigh? And what it told me is it weighed about 1,500 pounds. It's like almost 2,000 pounds of water sitting on this floor with, I don't know, some things that weren't framed, probably according to standard. And I always worried that that bed was going to make that floor sag, and it probably did. Weight pressing down upon those beams. And here what we're being told is that patience is the quality of Christian love that is able to hold up underneath the weight of other people's offenses that are pressing down on you. That's what patience is. Some of you in this room have had to deal with genuine injury. Some of you grew up in homes where you were abused, mistreated, 
you were actually unloved. And some of you have gone out into the world and have been used, stepped on. You know what it's like in the office to be passed over for no good reason. Somebody else was just good at buttering up the boss better than you were, and so you got stepped on and stepped over. Some of you have had people in your lives that just love to talk about you. In their eyes, you can do no right. They love to see other people and tell them about your perceived failures. Guess what she did this time? We live in a fallen world. Sin does exist. Sinners will hurt you. And so the Christian should, more than anybody else, understand this and actually expect this. And so to be patient, to be long-suffering in those circumstances or with those people, we need to understand that that does not mean that their sins against you are okay. They are not. It means that you have a desire to be like your Savior and to be made more like your Savior who was sinned against, wasn't he? Ultimately crucified. It means that you see what he did and you find it beautiful. That he withstood the offenses of other people and he was bearing up underneath all of them, even at the cross. I was talking with, with my, my kids last night about this verse and what it actually means. And if you remember Jesus at the cross, what did he do when he was nailed up there and people were cursing at him, hurling insults, mocking him from the foot of the cross? What did he do? He prayed for them. Father, forgive them. They, they don't know what they do. And maybe we have the tendency to think that in that moment, Jesus was just saying nice things under stress. He was nailed to a tree under the most agonizing conditions that a human being could experience. We have no idea what he was feeling in that moment. When you are in pain, what do you do when somebody causes stress toward you? Or what's the natural response? Like you're hurting and somebody comes along and throws a burden on your back or says an unkind word toward you. <laughs> it's like lighting a fuse, is it not? You're explosive in that moment, but not Jesus. And what we're supposed to do is that as we see that in God's word, we look at that and say, man, that patience, that is a rare jewel. That is absolutely beautiful in my eyes, and I want it for myself. And Christ will give it. That's what we're being told here. But maybe you're sitting there wondering right now, how? Maybe you know yourself. Maybe you are somewhat explosive. Maybe you do not bear up well under the burdens of other people's sins and offenses. It's almost as if you're always ready to break. 
There's cracks in the dam all over the place, and one more pound of pressure of water will make all of it come blowing through. That's what you feel like all the time. So you see something like this, and you're like, man, that is so far out of my reach. I will never touch this. So maybe you just want to remove yourself constantly from situations that are stressful and remove yourself constantly from people who might offend you. But what you'll find is that the only way of doing that is to completely remove yourself from the world and all offenders. You can't escape this. So as long as you're in this world, you'll deal with offense. And so we must grow to have the love of Jesus Christ. We must grow to have a love that is patient. And so if you're thinking this morning, how can I do that? Let me give you some things to consider. Truths to inform your heart so that the desire to honor Christ and seek the good of your mistreaters, if that's even a word, that that will outweigh your desire to satisfy the desires of the flesh and hurt those who hurt you. First, consider the long-suffering of God and His Son, Jesus. Meditate on this. Think on God and who He is and what He has done. And also think on what they currently still do. Think on how God is patient with the world. He suffers a multitude of injuries and slights and blasphemy every day from people who oppose him, and yet he does not give them what they deserve. Instead, he seeks the good of his enemies. That is what God is currently doing right now. We might think that God is just detached from the world. He's not paying attention or that he doesn't care. Oh, he cares. He cares far more than we could ever understand, realize God cares and he loves the world that he has made and he is constantly being scorned by those that he created to give him glory. They do the opposite. God is exercising patience right now. Listen to the words of Jonathan Edwards on this. He says, If we consider the wickedness there is in the world, and then consider how God continues the world, does not destroy it, but is continually blessing it with innumerable streams of good and supplying and supporting the world, how rich his daily bounties are to it, how he causes the sun to rise and shed forth his beams on the evil and on the good and sending rain on the just and on the unjust. And if we consider the goodness of God to some particular populous cities, let's say Buffalo, right? A populous city. How vast the quantity of the fruits of God's goodness, which is daily spent upon them and consumed by them. And then consider what wickedness there was in these very cities. It will show us how amazingly great is his long-suffering. And if we consider the same long-suffering has been manifest to very many particular persons in all ages of the world. So he's saying you take all of those cities that are filled with evil and wickedness that God has done good toward, all these places where they're constantly sliding him, 
misusing his name. All of those throughout all of history and lump them all into a giant basket. Consider all of that, how God has shown his patience with this world. It's pretty incredible. Because this world lives in constant, faithless rebellion against him, never acknowledging his name. Our God never makes the news. You notice that? You read your newspaper. Everything out there is considered. God is never mentioned as having anything to do with the world that he has made. Our politicians do not consider what he wants when they're making decisions. And if his name is ever referenced, it is in a curse word. Think about that. And yet it is still his delight to withhold his hand of judgment and seek the good of the people in the world. So if we start to consider things like that, we will marvel at absolutely how wonderful our God is in his patience. And what about Jesus? He came to put the long-suffering of God on display to the watching world. God, just the word God, is often very vague to us. It's hard to maybe put that into a category or really try to apply that to our lives, just this vague Godness. Well, Jesus, what he did is he came to dispel the notion that God is vague or that he is distant to demonstrate that God is close and that he can be seen. Jesus came to show us what the love of God looks like in real time, and he did that perfectly. He came to withhold the judgment that we deserved and give us the good that we don't through the work that he did. And all the while he was, as I mentioned, scorned, rejected, and killed by those people that he made. So he put that on display for us to see, in a sense. In real time, in history, he did that. I said last week that the love that we show to other people flows downhill from God. We have to see the patience he has in himself as a wonderful thing. And when we do, we will want to imitate that. We'll want it for ourselves. We have to see it as wonderful first, though. Like a son who watches his father and wants to be strong like him. He watches him go out there and chop wood and split it with one swoop. And he says to himself, one day, I want to do that like my dad. So that strength is attractive to him, and he wants it. Or like a daughter who listens to her mom and wants the wisdom and warmth in her voice for herself. And she says, one day I want to be able to deal with people like that. And so what we're supposed to do is look at the patience of God toward the world, toward us, and want to be what he is. And so I hope this morning as we are talking about this that the patience of God is an attractive thing to you. You will not want it for yourself if it is not attractive to you. We don't want things that we think are ugly or common. We don't want them. Other people can have them, but not me. 
So it starts here. A delight in the quality itself because it is in our God. But then we also see that quality played out in our own lives. So the second thing to consider is the long-suffering that God has shown to you. He's not only been long-suffering with the world that he has made, in a broad, big sense, big picture, he has looked at you as an individual, and he has been long-suffering with you. I stopped short of finishing the quote from Jonathan Edwards earlier, but here's what he says about you if you belong to Christ. He says, This quality should be especially wonderful to us if we consider God's long-suffering toward his elect, many of whom live long in sin and are great sinners, and God bears with them, but makes them vessels of mercy and glory and shows mercy to them even while enemies. And so I ask you this morning, how can you not delight in his long-suffering, especially when you consider that without it, you would be outside of Christ? Getting what you deserve for the many sins that you've committed against God. Do you ever reflect on your past life apart from Jesus? I have to imagine that some of you in this room have stories about that go something like this. There was this time when this happened when I should have died. How many of y'all have a story like that? I've got one. Something happened and you just think, man, like, I have no idea how I survived that. Could it not be that at that particular moment, God was demonstrating very clearly his patience toward you? sustaining your life until the day that he would draw you to his son, crucify your sin, and give you new life. We have to start considering our own lives. Paul would reflect on his own life. He did not do so to make himself feel sorry for himself or anything like that. We like to think, you know, God doesn't remember our sins anymore. And in a sense, he does not. He doesn't call them to account. He will not make us pay for them. That's how he does not remember them. But he doesn't tell us to not remember our sins anymore. I think by remembering our past sins, it reminds us of God's grace and his patience. And so Paul would recount again and again how he was a persecutor of the church. He was a killer of Christians. And he lamented that part of his life. But what it did is it drew his attention to zero in on the grace that God had shown to him. And so when we think back on our past life, it can serve us well if it will point us toward the patience of God. And marvel at that and bring praise and glory and honor to his name. That is what we should respond with this morning as we see this text. Love is patient and seeks the good of others. God has been patient with me, and he sought my good when I did not deserve it. It should melt our hearts as we reflect on who we used to be. And maybe you're here this morning, and you're hearing this, and you just are kind of want, like, I don't think I'm really a Christian. 
Now, I'm interested in what you're saying, but I don't know exactly where I am. Could it not be that God is exercising his patience toward you right now so that you will hear about his love and he will draw you to his beauty and to himself and change your life forever as you trust in Jesus Christ? Could it not be that up to this moment he has continually exercised long-suffering? He's suffered long with you. And here you are, and you're under the word of God, under his watchful eye. And he is speaking to you right now that I have shown you patience all these years so that at this moment you can hear about the beauty of my love and be drawn to it, delight in it, and receive it for yourself. Is that you this morning? Well, this text is an invitation to love the one who has loved So I hope that God's patience is a beautiful thing to you because he has shown it to you. Sins that you don't even remember, probably millions of them. But also those sins that you do remember. There are certain sins that you will never forget, that you have committed. I won't ask who has those. But I'd say all of you do. You just might not be able to remember them or don't want to remember them, but they're there. Great sins, grievous sins. And yet God was patient with you even in those. And he sought your good and withheld the judgment that you deserved in that moment. He did not strike you dead right there. Our God has been patient toward us. That's how it changes us first. We marvel at it. We love it. We delight in it. We see it as beautiful. And then we want it for ourselves. And Christ begins to work this patience into the lives of his people as we abide in him. And we start to give that patience generously in our dealings with other people. And when we do, this delights the heart of God when we choose to love like he loves. You hear stories or you watch movies of a father who so wants his son to follow in his footsteps in the family business. And when the son chooses to go a different way, it grieves the heart of the father. Like, oh, I had the business for you. Why are you going somewhere else? Why are you choosing to do something else? But his soul delights when the son wants to be and do as he has. As we look at this passage, what we are looking at is the family business. This is the Christian family business right here. To love like the father loves and to be patient like the father has been patient And it delights his heart when you desire to be like him and follow in his footsteps. That is what he is calling us this morning to do. I think one last question needs to be asked and then answered before we close. So we've dealt with the what, like what is this patience? It's long-suffering when other people are seeking to hurt you. We've dealt with the why of this patience. 
because we see it as beautiful in our God and how he has dealt with us. That's why we should want it. But what about the how? Or what exactly does this look like when we practice patience with those who have hurt us? Like in real time, as this is happening, how do we do this? First off, the strength of Jesus has to be in us. Again, that abiding element is so absolutely necessary where every day we are abiding in Christ and he is giving us his strength to love other people like he has loved us. But is that exactly what it looks like? I'll quote Jonathan Edwards one last time. This is what he says. He that exercises a Christian long-suffering toward his neighbor will bear the injuries received from him without revenging or retaliating, either by revengeful deeds or bitter words. He will bear it without doing anything against his neighbor to gratify a bitter resentment, without talking with bitter words toward him, and without allowing a revengeful spirit in his heart or showing it in his behavior. He will receive all with a calm, undisturbed countenance and with a soul full of quietness and goodness in his behavior to the one who has injured him, whether to his face or behind his back. He may reprove his neighbor, but if he does it, it will be with politeness and without bitterness. He may show a dislike of what is done, but it will not be with an appearance of high resentment, rather He should be more concerned with the sin that the offender has committed against God than the injury that has been caused to him. That is tremendous. Just that last statement. There is something so deep in his heart that loves his God that he is more concerned about the injury that has been committed against his Lord than has been committed against him. This looks like foreign language maybe to some who are here, and in some ways it looks like a foreign language to me because I know what it is like to just have something plopped on you and for all of that to just want to come out and so often to come out. But again, we have to stay close to Christ. We are not a people to be detached from him. Every day we need his love flowing through our veins. We have to stay close to him throughout the day. We have to be constantly bringing everything before him. Maybe over time you have learned to live detached from Jesus. That is not the Christian life. And so my hope is is that as a church, as an individual, in my own home, in your homes, that this, over time, does not look so foreign to you. He said a calm, undisturbed countenance when somebody is laying burdens upon you, injuries and sins against you. What? (laughs) Who is this man? Who is our Savior? This is who he is. And this is who he is shaping his people to be if we will abide in him and receive his love, see his patience as beautiful and desire it for ourselves. Repenting of sin. It starts there. And so if right now you know that you are not exercising patience towards someone, 
repent. Renounce that sin. Place it in the hands of your Savior, hands that were stretched out on the cross for you. Give him that sin to carry for you. And ask him to lead you to exercise long-suffering love to the person who has offended you, sinned against you, hurt you. It has to start there. Next week, we'll come back and look at kindness that actually goes toward that person. Right now, it is just in my own heart. I will not respond in a hateful, retaliating, revengeful way toward those who have injured me. I will not do it. I will honor my Savior. That's what we are being called to when we see love is patient. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, this is a text that we have grown very accustomed to. We read it in Hallmark cards and people have it stitched, cross-stitched on their walls, so often quoted, but probably not meditated on as we should. It truly does place our weak love in the scales and show us how far we are from a love that Jesus Christ has shown to us. But you are raising us up. You are building us up. You are encouraging us to have a love like his and tell us you will give us everything necessary to do this, to love like this. And that's what we ask for. So, Father, would you please root out of us impatience, whatever the opposite of long-suffering, short-suffering, no-suffering, whatever that is inside of us, God, replace it with a love that our Savior has shown to us, and we call it beautiful. May we begin to be a people who are patient. And when we are, we will delight in the fact that we have delighted you, that would be supreme in our hearts. We want to please in real time, every day, our heavenly Father, and this is how it happens. And so as a child delights to please his Father, that's what we ask for a heart like inside of ourselves, a heart that is more concerned about pleasing you than pleasing ourselves. God, make us patient. And so, Lord, as we reflect for a few minutes here about our lack of patience or our lack of love, encourage us that this is within our grasp because Jesus has made it possible that it is within our grasp. Lead us to repent of sin and to rejoice in the cross where you have shown us supreme patience and love. We ask all this in the name of our Savior Jesus. Amen.